in many ways, the system is meant to benefit the local Sunni population to the detriment of minorities residing in HTS's territories. Hello, and welcome to the USERV Spotlight Podcast, a podcast series by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each episode, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. I'm Susan Bishai policy analyst here at the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, or USERF. USERF's mandate is to monitor and report on state or non-state actors' violations of freedom of religion or belief. Today, USERF will examine religious freedom in northwestern Syria under its de facto rulers, the militant Syrian opposition rebel group, and former Al-Qaeda affiliate, Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, or HTS. The name translates to the Organization for the Liberation of the Levant. 2022 marks 11 years since the onset of Syria's civil war, and the country remains fragmented. Multiple actors, both state and non-state, both within and beyond Syria's borders, either control territory or exert military or other power over parts of Syria. Currently, President Bashar al-Assad has gained or regained control of approximately 70% of Syrian territory. HTS is among the most notable of the non-state actors that hold substantial power in Syria. It continues to grow its administrative authority over parts of the Northwest, including over half of Idlib province, which experts believe is one of the last large rebel strongholds resisting the Assad government. Since 2018, the United States has designated HTS as a terrorist group. USERF's 2022 annual report recommends that the U.S. Department of State redesignate HTS as an Entity of Particular Concern, or EPC, for engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom, as defined by the International Religious Freedom Act. To help analyze HTS's governance and its ramifications for religious freedom in Northwest Syria, Today, we turn to Dr. Aaron Zellin, an expert on Sunni Arab jihadi groups in North Africa and Syria, as well as the trend of foreign fighting, online jihadism, and jihadi governance. Aaron is the Richard Barrow Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy and a visiting research scholar at Brandeis University. Aaron, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, there's a lot to talk about with HTS, especially in recent weeks, so we're going to get to it. I'll ask you first about HTS's uh, changing iterations. In its current iteration, it's occupied with civic administration in the areas that it rules. 
But despite being preoccupied with that, that hasn't prevented it from using its salvation government to still coercively advance and enforce its religious ideology. For example, the UN and international media outlets have highlighted cases this year and last year, 2022 and 2021, in which the HTS government detained and possibly tortured individuals, fellow Sunni Muslims, for alleged blasphemy in their private conversations or for their individual method of praying in a mosque. Aaron, is there any reason to believe an HTS governance is one that accommodates the freedom of religion or belief of Sunni Muslims who don't subscribe to HTS's particular interpretation of Sunni Islam? Yeah, it's a great question. I think to start off with, it's important to note that HTS is not like ISIS where they're totalitarian, where they um, pretty much control all aspects of society. It's more your garden variety authoritarianism. Um, I know that you know it's still not great, but I think it's important to distinguish those two things and that HTS is not sort of monitoring and checking on every single person all the time, every second of the day. Um, that being said, at the mosques and within the Sharia faculty at Idlib University, which is the main university um, uh, in the areas that it controls, um, the Salafi religious Akita or methodology is taught, but other schools of jurisprudence are also emphasized um, with a specific role for the Shafi Madhab or school of law, um, as it's sort of the most common one historically in the Idlib region. Um, nevertheless, there's a risk um, you know, when looking at sort of the fact that this is being used or taught, that there's uh, too much of a deep dichotomy between sort of uh, what the Salafis are saying and sort of the traditional madahib. Um, that being said, a, a lot of the issues amongst the Sunni population, um, I would say, is more from the political perspective than, say, the theological perspective. Um, many have different ideological views from those of HTS and its allies about how society should be run. Um, if you look at a report from the UN Human Rights Council in uh, March 2021, for example, there's been many arbitrary imprisonment and arrests. Um, and there have been 73 cases of detentions of activists, journalists, and media workers who've criticized HTS for its form of government governance. Um, uh, the report also identified 64 cases of individuals being disappeared by the group. And for example, there's this one case of an individual named Samar al-Saloum, um, who was disappeared in December 25th, 2017. And according to his brother, Muhammad, um, HTS then executed Samar in 2019 alongside 19 others for criticizing the group. Um, many residents in HTS territory have criticized the lack of transparency in, in these processes for failing to provide reasons for arrests, holding so-called kangaroo trials, and for the treatment of prisoners. According to a lawyer in Idlib, um, he said, quote, death sentences are carried out in secret prisons without trial. Detainees don't get to have a public trial or to know the evidence on which the decision was made against them, end quote. Um, and in, in, in relation to when there have been protests or demonstrations against the group publicly, um, or for that matter, individuals commenting online on social media about the group, many cases of been shown where people have been forced to public videos of themselves apologizing to HTS or its leader Abu Muhammad al-Jalani directly. Thank you, Aaron. 
Yeah, their their governance really is very authoritarian, as your answer now just showed, and as I believe your future answers to our other questions will show. So since we're speaking about how HTS has treated Muslims, in this case, Sunni Muslims, let's talk a little bit about non-Muslims. You've recently written about the ways in which Christians and Druze still suffer legal harm and existential threats within HTS's current government system. Can you elaborate on what some of those threats, you know, now in 2022 might be? Yeah, and I think it's important to first sort of contextualize this in the way that sort of HTS and its leader Jalani view their state and the setup of it. Um, in many ways, the system is meant to benefit the local Sunni population to the detriment of minorities residing in HTS's territories. Um, much of Jalani's messaging over the years is about the existential threat that Sunnis face and his group's role in protecting them. Um, and you've seen this in a variety of interviews he's done over the years, going back to before it was HTS when it was still part of Qaeda, and then even since the group has changed um, uh, to HTS. Most recently, if you look at um, a couple of speeches he gave in July this past summer, he noted, quote, we have borne the burdens of very long years. We have borne the burdens of 100 years of oppression, humiliation, regression, decline, and the like. The Islamic Ummah, or the nation, he explains in the address to a bunch of notables in Idlib, has never faced oppression like the oppression it has faced in the past 100 years, facing threats to its identity besides mere divisions of political power. Um, you know, in reference to French colonialism, as well as the Assad regime and, and, and that rule over the last 50 years. This is one of the reasons why, as uh, Jalani stated in another address during that time to a bunch of ministers in the Salvation Government, where he said, the project in the liberated areas is no longer merely a revolution against oppression and tyranny, but rather is transformed into building a Sunni entity because Sunnis are facing an existential danger in Syria, end quote. Um, and it's important to note that there's no doubt that the Assad regime has run a sectarian um, regime himself um, uh, over the last 50 years, which has harmed the majority Sunni population. But then following the same type of methodology um, for their own sect, um, just further the cycle um, in many ways. So in terms of the questions related to Christians and Jew Druze in particular, um, within HTS territory, Christians are considered Musta'amin, um, a non-Muslim considered be residing in Islamic lands temporary with uh, security guarantees despite not paying the jizya or the poll tax, while Alawites and Druze are deemed apostates according to HTS. While the ruling and Christians might appear tame compared to that for the Alawites and Druze, HTS is still confiscated at least 550 properties from Christians, including homes and shops, which have not been returned since the practice began in 2015 um, when they took over these areas that they now control. Even worse, HTS has forcibly converted the Druze from the villages of uh, Jabal Sumak um, area of North Idlib countryside to Sunni Islam. HTS has also confiscated the properties of those outside of the area. In June 2015, for example, uh, at least 20 Druze were massacred amid a dispute about confiscation of the land in the village of Kalbloze and the fact that these hardline individuals deemed the Druze not um, being sincere in their um, conversion to Sunni Islam. Um, and more so today, um, Uyghur members of the HTS-allied Uyghur-led foreign fighter outfit 
Katibat al-Huraba al-Turkestan occupy many of the properties in Kabloze that were owned previously by the Druze um, who are outside the area now. And locals claim that these uh, Uyghurs are hostile and abusive toward the original Druze inhabitants to this day. Um, uh, yet in light of HTS's own uh, sectarian Sunni identity, it's, it's important to temper expectations when uh, say Jalani meets Christian or Jews notables, which they have been attempting to try and showcase since um, June earlier this year. Um, it's, it's important to remember that the status of both Christians and Druze is still very much subordinate and based on accepting Sunni Muslim rule and dominion over the area. Thanks. I'm glad that you added that part because I've noticed myself in 2022 just a real acceleration and escalation of what what I would call a public uh, relations campaign that uh, HTS is is mounting specifically with regard to uh, minorities such as Christians and Druze. You know, they opened a well uh, for the Druze and um, promised to give Christians back their land. So it is interesting that that existential threat still is embedded in their systems. So thank you so much for speaking to that. And actually, that will bring us to our next question. So now to recap, we've discussed Sunni Muslims who don't ideologically align with uh, HTS's version of Islam. We've discussed non-Muslim minorities such as Christians and Druze. And I want to move on to perhaps a smaller group, which is Muslims who are not Sunni. And we know that their population isn't huge in now in the areas that HTS controls. Uh, many of them have either fled or been forcibly converted to Sunni Islam. And also there's been an influx. I mean, a lot of Idlib's current population is Sunni uh, Muslims from other parts of Syria who were displaced there. So as a result, there doesn't seem to be a very large non-Sunni Muslim population, but to the extent that any are still left, are you aware of any HTS policies or actions or just even attitudes among HTS personnel in place today that would be discriminatory or insightful of violence or just otherwise unfavorable to Muslims who are not Sunni? Yeah, it's another great question. Um, so similar to what we saw with the Christians and Druze, HTS and other armed groups over the years have confiscated properties in the villages of Al-Fool and Kathreya, which are both um, historically Shia, um, uh, but were then evacuated from the village in 2018 when there was sort of a deal with the regime to remove them. So as far as I'm aware, they're overtly at least, um, it's plausible that people can be hiding their true affiliation, um, but outwardly there isn't really much um, practice of Shia or much coverage of it. Um, but just to get an idea of sort of how they they think of, about, um, you know, these groups of people, um, back in 2016, after Jalani um, broke from Al-Qaeda, he told Al Jazeera, for example, quote, today we en have entered a stage of defending our existence that is the state of the Sunni people in Al-Sham. If God forbid the Rawafid, um, which means rejectionists and is a derogatory term for Shia, essentially the equivalent of the N-word in this context. Um, uh, if their so-called project is hostile to, to Sunnis and succeeds, if it succeeds in Al-Sham or Syria, this will extend to transgress on the Sunnis in the entire region. 
So in many ways, um, you know, Jelani and HTS don't just frame this as an issue uh, locally, but as a broader regional problem as well. So um, if there was any sort of manifestation of anybody trying to, you know, practice Shiism, I imagine that there would be some level of crackdown, even if it seems right now, at least publicly, you don't see this in the areas that it controls. That's interesting. So it sounds as if, I mean, I know you did compare them to ISIS and contrasted them earlier, but it, you know, it does sound from all of your answers so far that HTS, you know, does still have an ideological bent and, um, you know, especially when it comes to Shia or other non-Sunni Muslims, it, it might come to the fore if, if there were more of a population over which to exert that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think the difference is more just that the question of enforcement where ISIS would try and enforce literally everything for the most minor infraction or, 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 or what they perceived as being against their views or what they're trying to do. Whereas HTS doesn't necessarily enforce everything every day. Um, it's, it's more if it's deemed as what they see as a political threat to their own power base. Great distinction. Thank you. So since we're talking about their enforcement, that's a great segue to talk about the police force. Now, it's our understanding that HTS, we all, as we know, HTS has rebranded itself and it has gone through many permutations, many names since its original origins around 2011. It's interesting to watch the evolving or the evolution of institutions within the Salvation Government which also have likewise uh, had their own trajectory in terms of renamings and rebrandings. So we've been hearing that the religious police force, formerly the religious police force, has, like HTS, changed. It's now possibly had a successor force, uh, the morality police, or else they work together. And that both of these forces have targeted women and girls for perceived violations of essentially their interpretation, HTS's interpretation of religious law and how it applies to women and girls. And even when they took over last month in October, they took, uh, HTS took over parts of the Aleppo govern governorate, which we will get to shortly. But we heard that it in they immediately instituted a stringent dress code based on religious grounds for girls and women when they took over those parts of Aleppo province. So can you tell us a little bit about the ways in which HTS's current government and police force, irrespective of whether they, you know, branded the police force or the morality police or the vice police, how have they wielded their religious ideology against women and girls specifically? Sure. So one of the in instruments that HTS uses to control or hamper women's lives is um, the Hizbah or moral policing apparatus. Um, of course, the Hizbah patrols can be done against men too, but a large part of it consists of policing women in public. Um, and to get to sort of this evolution, as, as you described, HTS's Hizbah entity has gone through various phases from being called Suwa'id al-Khair, um, which was form in, formed in June 2017, to al-Falah Center in May 2020. Um, and since August 2021, it has been subsumed into the Salvation Government's Ministry of Endowments, Dow and Guidance, um, to sort of legitimize it more. Um, as part of this shift, the ministry launched a campaign called, so, uh, quote, Guardians of Virtue, 
um, which led to events, competitions, and various billboards being put up on the streets to reinforce a message that defines a woman's appearance and a manner in a narrow and misogynistic sense. Um, so uh, what the Hizba apparatus primarily focuses on is preventing men and women from mixing in public places by erecting uh, control points on university campuses and parks, preventing men from selling women's clothes, banning the display of mannequins at shops, monitoring wedding halls, and banning music and smoking. In addition, it, uh, it is known to interfere with women's clothing and accessories and forcing um, humanitarian organizations to separate their staff by gender. In many ways, this, this has given free reign to HTS's Hizba patrols to beat up, flog, or even imprison violators. Um, and just to give uh, a few examples uh, so people understand this, um, a female Hizba member beat up the female director of exams at Idlib University due to a dispute over her outfit. Um, bus drivers affiliated with an NGO called Violet Organization were arrested while teachers and students at the Al-Urba uh, High School uh, the, uh, and the Center for Development and Technology were beaten under the pretext of illicit mixing by men and women. Um, the Hizba forces brought moral uh, charges against a woman and a male merchant for being inside the shop alone without a mahram or guardian. Um, they also blamed the merchant for not hiring a female shop assistant for such situations. Um, and then finally, the Hizba patrol stopped a woman walking around Idlib's public park because she was wearing an allegedly, quote, eye-catching tight dress, end quote. Um, and the Hizba agents then scolded her for more than 10 minutes in front of everybody else in the park. Thanks, Aaron. Now for our last question, I want to talk briefly about HTS's complicated relationship with Turkey, which is a major component of the geopolitical calculus for Syria. HTS is not what we would call a Turkish-backed group proper. There are other groups that we do call that. But Turkey, which has its own military and political agenda in parts of Syria, including the Northwest, has allowed HTS to expand its power in the Northwest. And HTS has served sort of as a watchdog almost. It has attacked, a watchdog for Turkey. It has attacked some groups that are opposed to Turkey. So Aaron, can you share any thoughts about HTS's activities in the past few weeks in October of 2022, in which it allied with certain Turkish-backed Syrian militant groups in clashes with rival ones and took over part of Afrin until reportedly Turkey had HTS partially withdraw. Do you think a stronger Turkey-HTS relationship could potentially further limit religious freedom in the Northwest? It's an interesting uh, series of events we saw last month. Um, it's important to note that uh, Turkey actually has HTS designated as a terrorist group too, like the United States. Um, so there are certain limitations to what Turkey can do legally, I guess you could say, with HTS. Um, uh, that being said, HTS wants to take over eventually all of the areas of the Syrian National Army, which is the SNA, uh, the group that Turkey officially backs. Um, and just this past uh, week in the beginning of uh, November, um, Jelani had a speech about this issue where he said that Quote, Idlib's gains are exposed to great dangers due to the division of the liberated areas between Idlib, Euphrates Shield, and Olive Branch. Um, and therefore, the key to Idlib's success is uniting under one authority that has provided benefits in every facet of life. 
Um, the ultimate concern for Jelani and HTS is, quote, the unification of the areas of Euphrates Shield, Olive Branch, and Idlib in the face of enemies of the revolution in order to create a decent living environment for the people. Um, I'm unsure it would necessarily change too much uh, on a day-to-day -day basis since the Syrian National Army and members within it is made up of conservative religious inv individuals in of itself. It's plausible though that since HTS has a more bureaucratic system and is better organized that harassment could be more systematic, especially in areas where Kurds might remain since many of them are non-religious. Um, likewise, there of course be more opportunity to do dawa or proselytization as well as provide education to children through HTS's prism. Um, and finally, uh, uh, linking back to the other issue on women, if you look at their Quranic schools, you have uh, girls wearing the full uh, niqab when they're four or five years old, even though, you know, traditionally, even amongst more conservative people that usually only starts during puberty. So there's even that level of um, pushing on individuals, at least in the chronic schools and areas that they already control. Thank you. That was such a concise answer to such a complicated question. And we've actually run out of time. Unfortunately, there's so much more we can analyze about HTS. But I want to thank you for taking the time, Aaron, to share your knowledge. It's clear from your answers, even to this, this short set of questions we gave you, that HTS does pose in 2022 uh, a threat to religious freedom in the areas it controls. Now, to our audience, I want to let you know that you can find more information about HTS and about religious freedom generally at usurf.gov. That's our website. And you can read our annual reports for the past few years, which includes chapters on Syria and also has sections on EPCs, entities of particular concern, uh, of which uh, HTS is potentially one. And please, I also want to ask you to follow Dr. Zellin's publications. He's not only publishes things with the Washington Institute for Near East Policy, but also other major outlets. And he has books, including 2020's Your Sons Are at Your Service, Tunisia's Men Missionaries of Jihad. And he's been at the forefront of research on both HTS and the larger context of today's jihadist groups. That's why we had him on. So we encourage you to look at his work. And we appreciate you all for tuning in today. And we'll see you next time on USURF Spotlight. Thank you.